Good morning, morons and moronettes, deplorables, uh, literal Nazis, uh, and everyone else around the world. Um, this is Adam Piggott on the Pushing Rubber podcast, uh, episode number 33. My apologies for the three-week lapse in podcasts. However, if you'd taken any notice, uh, you would have known that I was travelling around Europe uh, on a little holiday with the good wife and I was not able to record on the road. Well, I might have been able to record on the road. No, I probably I couldn't record and I definitely couldn't upload, um, which was the reason for the break. But, you know, we all need a break now and then. It was a good break for me. I also had a break for the inter- from the internet for, <coughs> excuse me, some of that time, which was nice. Uh, I used uh, Literal Nazis as a... Uh, 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 Monica there in the introduction because in the three weeks that I've been away it seems that the left has completely lost its brain uh, mind you they had to have a brain to lose in the first place which is you know, debatable um, and now anyone, everyone is a literal Nazi uh, who likes Trump or might have said something about Trump I'm assuming I'm in the literal Nazi camp um, funny thing though is that literal Nazis tend to run around and do Nazi things like, I don't know, beat people up on the street, intimidate, um, persecute, uh, ostracise for their beliefs, um, all under the auspices of uh, propaganda. Um, as always, uh, with the left, the left act like women collectively. Uh, it's like a, a feminist hive mind. So feminism is an apt, uh, you know, um, ide- ideology for the left to be involved with. Um, as always with uh, uh, the female hive mind, it's not what they say, it's what they do. So running around accusing everyone of being actual, literal Nazis, sorry, literal, literal Nazis. Because uh, apparently before that, if you were a Nazi, you weren't a Nazi. Um, I suppose by saying literal Nazi, they're admitting that before when they called you a Nazi, that was just, you know, they were just labelling you. Uh, with a nice ad hominem attack, because but now when you're a literal Nazi, well now you're really a Nazi. Before you know, oh, when we said Nazi, well, we, we were just we were just fucking with you, but now we mean it. You're a literal Nazi, which means that in a few weeks you're going to be a literal literal Nazi, and a few weeks after that, a literal 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 Nazi. Um, maybe they'll, they'll they'll progress to literal actual Nazi. Um, a real-life Nazi, uh, a uniformed... I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. But as always, as always, with the left, watch what not what they say, but what they do. So running around accusing everyone of being literal Nazis while actually behaving like Nazis yourselves is somewhat revealing. Um, and that's what the... If you know anything about political events in Germany in the 1920s and up to the mid-1930s, you would know that the way that the literal Nazis got into power was by accusing all their opponents of doing the things that they were actually doing. Uh, In the Weimar Republic in the 1920s, before the Nazis got into power, but when Adolf Hitler was politically active, remember, in the 1923 Beer Hall push in Munich. Uh, he was jailed for that political episode 
uh, where he wrote his memoir, Mein Kampf, which is my life in German. Uh, the Nazis were in running battles in the streets with communists. Uh, and it was at a close point, a certain point, uh, who was going to win. Um, and when I say running battles, these uh, these political groups had private armies. They were literally driving around in lorries with the back of the lorries stacked with armed thugs. Uh, the reason that I think, one of the principal reasons that I think that the Nazis won is because their uniforms were better. Remember, they had Hugo Boss on side from a very early time. They looked the part. So if you're a young, clueless thug in the 1920s, late 1920s in Germany, and you're trying to work out which side you wanted to go on, the Nazis just looked cooler. Now, when you looked at the at the Women's March, and I say women's, but I, I just think... Um, I don't know, we can call it Women's March, but there are a fair number of so-called men uh, on that march as well. Um, the uniforms aren't really good, yeah? I mean, if you want to now look... Well, if you want to look like they do, you're going to have to dye your hair blue. Uh, you're going to have to put piercings in various parts of your body. Um, uh, awful tattoos. Um, particularly tribal tattoos for some reason. I, I don't know why that they don't go on about that being cultural appropriation. Um, you're going to have to wear clothes that you've got from some uh, Salvation Army style uh, uh, welfare store um, that are normally uh, ill-fitting. Uh, on the women, at least, they have to be a couple of sizes too big, so they look like they're walking around in a bag. Or... The opposite, they have to be exceedingly tight, no matter uh, the obesity level uh, of the person in question. Um, it's just not a good uniform, is it? It's just not a good uniform. Um, so I can't see the left doing well um, in the next eight years in America on that basis alone. On that basis alone. Um, Trump, of course, got inaugurated. Uh, was it last Friday, I think? Oh, like I said, I was on holiday. It was a good time to be away. Um, as I wrote on my post the other day on my blog, um, I was did a lot of podcasting and writing about Trump before the election because I thought the whole Trump thing was really interesting in the sense that um, the pundits, the forecasters, the mainstream media had got it all wrong because they... They wanted it to be a different reality. Uh, they didn't want the reality of Trump to be an actual reality. So they, they, their bias uh, caused them to completely misinterpret events, um, which is why I found the whole thing so interesting. Also with Brexit, um, and events played out the way that I thought they would. Um, there has, however, been since Trump won the election and between the inauguration... Uh, there was a lot of, of hero worship of Trump. <coughs> Excuse me now. I'm not into hero worship. I just don't do that. Um, there are, of course, throughout human history, men uh, and occasionally women who have demonstrated um, the supreme leadership skills. Uh, and they can make a real difference. In fact, I'll say that uh, a civilization needs great leaders 
uh, every couple of decades or so just to hold it on track and repair the damage from the weak and ineffectual leaders um, that preceded them. Uh, so I have a lot of hope for Donald Trump, but the hero worship that was going on, um, particularly referenced him as God Emperor, I, I just, look, I know with a lot of commentators, it's tongue-in-cheek, um, but words are powerful things, that's why the left use them a lot, and I'm just not going to buy on this hero worship train until he starts to actively demonstrate uh, what he's going to do. Um, I saw an interesting post. Now, on that topic, what he's going to do. Um, so, he's been in office for a few days and he's actually done a lot. Uh, and I saw a thing um, where the moment that Donald Trump was sworn in uh, at noon on last Friday, apparently the LGBT climate change, healthcare, and civil liberties page disappeared from the website of the uh, Trump White House at the very moment. Bang. Uh, so obviously it was all pre-organized at this moment. This is gone. Um, and so let's have a look at this individually. So LGBT disappeared. Does that mean that now um, gay and bisexual people or people who identify uh with their um, sexuality need to be afraid. No. What they need to understand now is that basing uh, special privileges on who you choose to sleep with is now over, at least in the United States. Um, you're not persecuted anymore for being gay, at least if you don't live in an Islamic country. Um but you shouldn't expect any special treatment just because of who you choose to fuck. And that's that's the reason that that's gone. Uh, I'm pretty clear on that one, I think. Climate change is gone because Trump knows it's a scam. It's interesting here in Australia that... Uh, because the, the, Everyone goes on about trying to building thousands of new coal-fired power plants. What they don't choose to understand or choose to reveal is that a new coal-fired plant is 90% more efficient than an old coal-fired plant because technolo technology has improved over the last 40 or 50 years. Just consider the car that you are able to drive now with the money you pay for that car compared to a car of 40 or 50 years ago for the same money that you would buy uh, and you'll understand dramatically. Same with televisions. Size, quality and cost compared to just even 20 years ago. I mean, when I was growing up, so 30 years ago, we couldn't afford a colour television. There was just no way. It wasn't going to happen. Uh, we could have paid for it, but my parents had other priorities with the money that was available to us at the time. Um, so new coal-fired power stations are, well, 90% more efficient than the old ones. And they also tend to just give off... Well, CO2, remember, isn't a pollutant. It's plant food, just so you all know. Plant food. Uh, going on about protesting that CO2 is pollutant would be the same as trees protesting uh, about oxygen being pollutant. All those nasty people should stop uh, consuming oxygen or, or something like that. I don't know. Um, healthcare is gone uh, from the website, which means that they're going to fix that pretty fast. <coughs> That's wrong. There's been 25 years of considerable damage uh, to healthcare in the United States. Um, 
it's not going to be fixed fast, um, but they're going to try and do some stuff fast on that. And Civil Liberties page. Um, Would have been nice if human rights had disappeared as well, but Civil Liberties isn't a bad start. Uh, Just so you know, being a human, you don't don't have any rights. Okay? Uh, There are laws designed to protect you from people who do nasty things, but you don't have any actual rights as a person. It doesn't exist. It's just propaganda, leftist bullshit. So yeah, that came. So that happened at the moment that Trump uh, took, you know, took the oath, and you know that's a sign. And things are happening uh, with Trump. Uh, he's signing executive orders every day. And if you don't like the fact that he's able to sign executive orders, or why won't you protesting Obama's eight years of signing executive orders? Hmm, think about that. Uh, what's goose is good. Good for the goose is good for the gander, as they say. Uh, so I'm not getting in on this whole hero worshipping thing of Trump. Um, I just want to see what he does. Let's have a look. Okay. Like I said, I wasn't hero worshipping Trump in the lead up to the election. I was interested in the actual process and what was changing in the world before our eyes, if you had the brains to look for it and find out. Uh, on my trip itself, so we went to Italy, we spent a week up in Madonna di Campiglio, which is a ski resort in Italy in the Dolomites, uh, close to where I lived, well, just over the hill basically from where I lived, it's the next valley, but it's just a little bit more chicer than Valdesolo, suits my style and that of the good wife a bit better. Stayed in a very lovely hotel, um, we went to Venice for two nights. Um, for those of you who read my blog, you would have known I did a couple of posts about the restaurants and the food that we went to. My God, we ate well in Italy. My God. I mean, restaurants here in Australia, the, the good wife and I, the luxury that we afford ourselves uh, is eating out, eating out. That's our interest. We like to eat well. We like to dine well, I should say. We like to drink fine wine. Uh, we like to eat great food. And we like to do it in an atmosphere that is convivial to the enjoyment of both. Uh, that is our hobby. Uh, we spend a certain amount of money a year on that hobby. Maybe your hobby is, I don't know, a powerboat, which is ski behind. And you spend, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars each year on that hobby. Your hobby might be, I don't know, a nice car, Porsche or something like that. We don't have a nice car. We have a perfectly good Toyota Orion uh, that we bought for cash five or five years ago, and secondhand, of course, had about a hundred thousand k on it, and it's got the full smicker, which the the dealer said to us, it's got all the fruit. That's their term for it. Of course, it's got all the fruit. I wanted the best car I could get for the money I could get. Uh, it's got the the engine and drivetrain of an a Lexus, uh, and five years of just fantastic driving. Drove it across Australia from Perth to Melbourne, beautiful car. Do I get any looks driving it around? No, just blends into the background. Would I like to have a Porsche? Sure, but our priorities for our money and what we enjoy are different. So that's what we enjoy. Um, All I wanna say is the restaurants of Australia, geez, wow, you're pretending. You really are pretending in comparison from what, what we saw, what we tasted uh, in Italy. It's its just another level. It's a completely another level. That's because they treat um, the raw produce that they get so well. Um, 
the or the, the way I could sum it up is the cooking um, uh, oh, I just had the word on the tip of my tongue on what they, what I wanted to say then oh, don't you hate that when you've got like the word it's there and I'm doing a podcast the podcast is about words um, oh, well I can't I can't Starts with C, the word I want to use, and I keep coming out with contemplate. That's not the word. I just, look, I've got jet lag. I fucking hate flying, all right? I fucking hate international travel now. 20 years ago, international travel was a pleasure. It was an adventure. It was a joy. And now it is just the pits. It is... A nightmare and I arrived 24 hours ago literally uh, and it took me 24 hours of traveling just to give you an idea if you haven't done any long traveling so Amsterdam to Abu Dhabi uh, it's roughly seven hours two hours <coughs> stop over in Abu Dhabi which ended up being close to three by the time we got on for various reasons which I'll talk about uh, in a second, uh, and then 13 hour flight uh, from Abu Dhabi to Melbourne, just a nightmare, and it doesn't matter, look I've done it on the pointy end of the plane, I've done it on the back of the plane, uh, it doesn't matter what class you're travelling, it's shit, uh, and it's shit because of how horrible they've made it now at every point along the way, it really is the pits, you're treated it as uh, just a a second-class citizen at nearly every point. And I've got to say, with all the flying that I've done, I've had enough, all right? I've really, really, really had enough of international travel to the point, to the point where until the good wife and I leave Australia for greener pastures, which is on the agenda, until we do that, I just don't think I'm going to go overseas anymore uh, unless there's a really good reason to do it. I've had enough. My next, as far as I'm concerned, my next trip out of Australia will be a one-way ticket. I just can't do this anymore. And we're going to put ourselves in a location where flights, well, probably Europe, with short flights. I, I just can't handle it. And I just can't handle... Um, those of you who travel a lot will know exactly what I'm talking about. And listen, I haven't had the sincere privilege and pleasure of coming into the USA, which I've heard is an infinite times amount of everything worse than what we get everywhere else. Uh, so, yeah, I'll be preaching to the converted, considering so many Americans read my stuff and listen to my podcast. So it's got such a high proportion of people from, from the US. So you guys will know what I'm talking about. Uh, but some of the things, uh, let's just go with a flight. Let's just go with a flight from Amsterdam. Some of the, I, I, I was not in a good mood because the good wife wasn't travelling with me. Uh, and I wasn't in a good mood for two reasons. One, because the good wife wasn't travelling with me. I like to travel with my wife. It's nice to share your misery with someone that you care a lot about. Hmm? Uh, well, more like the she shares, she I can dump my misery on her. Because I wasn't allowed to dump my misery on her, I wasn't able to, I had to dump it on everyone else that I met along the way. So let's just say it wasn't very nice, touchy-feely Adam 
that spent the 24 hours getting from Amsterdam back to Melbourne. Uh, the second reason is that the wife and I uh, have our frequent fire program that we combine our, both our points into the one account. Uh, the problem is that the one account is her account, so they don't issue a card in both your names. We got our separate cards, but my wife is in the platinum status, which is the best you can get for the frequent flight program on, and I'm in the shithouse state level, uh, which is red, because all of the points go to hers, so we can make sure we stay in the platinum, because usually we travel together, but this time we didn't. So on the way there, we got first-class lounge treatment the whole way. So when we got to Abu Dhabi, we got into the Etihad first-class lounge. Now, Etihad have three lounges at Abu Dhabi, the first-class lounge. Well, let's just say they've got a cigar smoking room where you don't have to pay for your cigars and you sit in these massive chairs and they'll bring you a cognac or a fine whiskey or something like that. You choose your cigar, holy bucket of snot. The best thing they have is their spa, though, and the best thing in the spa is the shower. If you can take a shower at the halfway point of this awful, awful trip, it changes the entire complexity of the trip completely changes it for you. You've got no idea what a difference a shower at that halfway point can make, particularly on the leg going to Europe. So if you do the 13-hour flight to Abu Dhabi and then you have a shower, it just sets you up for success, put it that way. Um, what else do you get in the first-class lounge as well? Fine dining. You don't have to pay for anything. Fine dining, whatever you want to drink. Uh, massages. Just, oh, look. Oh, I just can't. And you're not out... I don't want to say with the hoi polloi, with the masses, but remember, dear listeners, that hell is other people. Yes, hell is other people. And I'm not saying that I don't like other people. <coughs> well, I probably don't like other people. Let's just say I hate everybody, and then we're fine from that point. But 20 years ago, people knew how to behave on a flight, and people knew how to behave with travelling. Like, people would make an effort. They'd dress well. Just, just that, they dress well. Now people people dress like they've just got out of bed. People are going through, can't get onto planes in, in literally looking like they've just got out of bed. Behaving like they've just got out of bed. Um, parents with children, fuck me. Look, can your parents listen out there that it's, it's not endearing? We don't think your kids are cute. We don't think your three-year-olds are cute when they're running around general boarding area playing hide and seek amongst people who are simply exhausted and have had enough we don't think it's endearing people with children traveling are in one of two camps either i love you your children are well behaved and i appreciate you or you're fucked and i hate you with the core of my existence and if i could get away with it i'd open the emergency door and throw your kids off the plane in flight which I wouldn't do, of course, because then I'd probably sucked out of the plane as well. Um, just as an example, just as an example, on the flight, the last flight from Abu Dhabi to Melbourne, I got a, if I can't be sitting in the pointy head end of the plane, either business or first class, then what I literally go is for the back. And when I say the back, I mean the very, very, very last seat. The reason is this, there's a few reasons for this. Number one is that there's nobody sitting behind you. Why don't you want anyone sitting behind you? So no one can kick your fucking seat the whole way. Yeah, or or even worse, because they have the touch screens. So people just on their touch screens 
like that. Do that for 13 hours and see how happy you are. Okay? No one behind you is a gift greater than God. Well, the gift greater than God is business or first class. But if I can't get that, last seat. The last seats are normally also only in two on the sides, never three. Because the design of the plane is getting narrowed as it gets towards the back. They're also slightly angled. You end up getting more room, but you're not having to pay for it. And when I say more room, we're talking centimetres here, but they can make a difference, trust me, over 13 hours. What are you also not getting in the back? Well, if you look at a, at a floor plan for seating plan for like a 777 or one of the you know, new Airbuses, you'll see bassinets. So you'll see, like, you'll see like the floor plan and they have like a person sitting in a seat and you can see like the toilets and all the rest of it. And then you'll see these bassinets and what they are are, are children change areas. And what the airline will do is seat the young kids around those. They are normally located around the emergency exits and the toilets in the middle of the plane. Those seats that have extra leg room. Now, in the old days, you could, you could wing the extra leg room by turning up early at the check-in when you couldn't check in online, looking young and fit, and requesting one. And they never, they never charged you more for it. And being young and fit, they'd look at me and say, uh, you know, Mr. Piggott, uh, would you be able to help and, you know, assist in the case of emergency if you're sitting in the emergency exit row? And I'd be like, sure, I'd help to get the door open with the first one at a fucking plane, no problem at all. So I, I got them a lot. But people wisened up to this, namely people in the airlines. And now they charge you hundreds of extra dollars to sit in these seats. It's not worth it primarily because even though you've got more leg room in front of you than someone in business class, it's not worth it because you're also they've also chosen to stick the bassinet change area right next to it as well. So what you're getting on those seats are all the screaming two-year-olds. Not worth it. But you don't get the screaming two-year-olds at the back, usually, but not in the case of the flight that I got from Abu Dhabi to Melbourne, which is why I'm talking about this. But these are also good travelling tips for you as well. The other reason that the uh, ones at the back of the plane are good is because you're right next to the stewardesses and the toilets. Now, being next to the toilets at the back is not a bad thing. A few people queuing up next to you, not a problem at all, all right? Um, the reason you want to be there is because you, you can time your run to the toilets. Now, this is what happens on a plane. You get on the plane, blah, 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 take off, they'll give you a drink, fine. They'll give you a hot towel, wipe your face, fine, whatever. Drink, and then they'll go out and serve some food. If you're choosing to eat this food, what they'll do is the tray sits on your table and then you're, you're literally trapped. Okay, so with the, <coughs> with the tray on the table, after you've finished, you have to wait for them to come away and take the trays away, and this takes time. So they've given out, by the time you've had that, from the time of getting that first drink, and everyone takes alcohol for the most part, and then getting your tray of food off your table, you're looking at 90 minutes as a rough guide. So, of course, everyone wants to go to the toilet. Um, and you'll see these massive queues queuing up. So this is not the time to go to the bathroom, okay? Um, and what you do by sitting in the back, you're able to time it so that you go whenever there's no one else in there. It's very nice. Also, being next to the back, stewardesses are there. Can I have another drink? 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 So we get what I'm doing right now. You, you, without pressing the button, you can get talking to them. You can get talking to them when you stand there waiting for the toilet, get up and beat the toilet, blah, blah, blah. They're right there. Hi, blah, blah, blah. Oh, do you mind going to the beer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
You'd be amazed. You can just be like civil to these people. What you can get. Um, so they're the reasons to be at the back of the plane. The back of the plane is this. But you also, if you, if in this case, in this, if you're traveling, there's two of you. Obviously, you take both seats. But if there's traveling, there's only one. There's going to be someone next to you. You want to take the aisle seat. Now I know you'd be thinking, but Adam, you want to take the window seat. Well, mm, no. And the reason for that is you don't know who the person is. And every time if you're on the window seat, every time you need to get up, you need to negotiate your way past that person. It's a pain in the ass. What I like to have to have on the plane is freedom of movement to get up and do my thing whenever I want without disturbing anyone next to me, i.e. when they're asleep. If they're asleep and you want to get up, you're basically trapped at this point without waking them up. Now you'd be saying, well, what about the problem of the person who's sitting in the window getting past you all the time? And the reaction to that is, I can't sleep on planes anyway, so I don't give a shit. So anyway, I sleep. I, I, that's back of the plane for me if I can't get in the pointy end in business or first. Right, so they stuck a kid at the back. Uh, oh, I wasn't at the back. I booked the back. I was on the back. I got on, and I'm two rows from the back, so I pissed off immediately. And then they had this kid, Indian, fucking Indians and their kids. It's like these cow herders, you know, who have only been in Australia for two years and were literally living in third world poverty. They just don't give a fuck. They don't give a fuck. So there was this kid and she had this scream. She had this scream that, that it got to a certain intensity where you thought that there's no way a human being could get you know, any higher intensity from that level and then she'd step it up a notch. It was... It was on the one hand, it was very impressive. On the other hand, holy, holy, holy bucket of snot! My God, how awful was this? And the thing was, the kid, this female child, probably about two and a half, three years old maybe. As she, they were sitting about four rows in front of me in the middle, and the kid would want some attention, and all the the mother had to do, all the mother had to do was giving it a bit of attention at that starting point and then then we were all good we were all fine but no just ignored the kid and then it was off and then there was nothing there was nothing they could do this happened four or five times i swear i swear anyway it was adam in a very bad mood that left amsterdam uh and i went through the security thing and this is where things started to go downhill for me uh, they made me go through, so I go through the security thing where you put your bags through. And look, I don't wear a belt when I'm flying. I've got all my stuff in my bag, phone, wallet, keys, coins, everything. So for me, it's very easy to get through. I've got slip-on shoes so I can take them off fast. They asked me to take off my shoes, okay. And then <coughs> I had to go through one of those big, you know, the things where you stand and it's like an x-ray thing. So thanks, bombard me with x-rays to give me fucking cancer, cunts. Stand there, hands up, blah, blah, blah. Come out, and there's this Dutch guy there, and he was a prick. He was a bureaucratic bureaucratic prick. And you just know someone's a bureaucratic prick the way they look at you. And he said, permission to search you. And I went, what? I just went through your bloody x-ray thing. And he pointed to the x-ray picture and on my I swear not on my left foot at the back of my left ankle there was like this yellow yellow symbol and I was like what 
He goes, that is showing there's something there. Permission to search you. Raise your arms. I went, permission to search me. I went, what? Like, and this is what I actually said to him. And this is just starting in the 24 hours, by the way. I said, what? Like, if you come to my door, permission to come into my house? So permission to come into my house, I can say, yes, please come into my house. Or I can say, no, fuck off. You mean like that kind of permission? He's like, yeah, yeah, well, you can say no and then you don't fly. I said, so... There is no choice. So it's not permission at all. It's just get get manhandled by you. So it didn't go too well. I was like, fuck, okay, fuck, go for it. But I used the word fuck. I wasn't telling them to fuck off. I just used the word, fuck, fine, fuck, just go for it. Oh, you use that language? What are you saying? Oh, now it was on. Now it was on. We went back and forth for a while, and I had to back down, otherwise I was going to be thrown off my flight before I got on it. <coughs> Cunts. I said to him while I was searching, I got my arms out and he's patting me down. I'm going, I'll tell you what, man, if there's nothing down here I'm making my left ankle, you need to get a new machine. Sure enough, nothing on the back of my left ankle. Are they going to get a new machine? Probably not. So I go through, get on the flight. I'm in the back seat on this one, thank God. Go through to uh, Abu Dhabi. Last time I was in Abu Dhabi, three weeks beforehand, I was in the first class lounge. Now I was out with all the shitheads. I was a shithead, and I found my gate, and I got there, and this is the last time I go through Abu Dhabi, that's it, I'm never going through Abu Dhabi again, uh, we're all sitting in the departure lounge, uh, lounge, hall, it's not a lounge, I know what a lounge is, departure hall, sitting on a chair, got an hour and a half to kill, I was there for about 40 minutes, and then suddenly I noticed everyone is leaving and lining up in the really busy corridor on the other side of a glass panel. I want to say busy, I mean really busy. And everyone's lining up all the way down. I'm like, what's going on? There's, this, there's these, these local security dip, dipshits going around. And I'm looking at them. He comes up to me, you have to go out. I'm like, why, you ha- why do we have to go out? And he goes, we have to check your tickets and do a bag inspection. I'm like, check my tickets and do a bag inspection? When I got off the plane in Abu Dhabi from Holland, we had to go through security all over again, which meant the x-rays. So we've just done all this, x-ray, by the way, and they're going to check our boarding pass when we get on the plane. Now, I was on a Boeing 777. There must be three or 400 people in there, and sure enough, everyone's lined up. So, oh, my God. So I've already been on the go here. And look, if you take into account getting to the airport if you take take the time for your trip starts when you leave to go to the airport i've already been on the go for 12 hours now which means i've been up for 24 hours so i'm not in a good mood and i'm traveling internationally and i hate traveling internationally and i couldn't be in the first class lounge so i'm just ropeable at this point so i go and line up outside and literally man they've set up this thing where you you're inching forward and our plane was 40 minutes late for departure I wonder fucking why. We're inching forward and we have to show our, our pass and our passport to these idiots. And this isn't to get on the plane. This is just to get back into the departure lounge. And then they're searching everyone's bags by hand. And everyone, the thing that fucked me off the most is that everyone's looking so fucking grateful for this massive intrusion with no discernible, legitimate reason. We've just gone through x-ray security, you dumb fucks. And they're all just looking so generous. 
So this, I mean, so grateful. I now know what the looks on the Jews' faces when they got into the cattle cars was. It's just, it's the same look. And no, everyone's just going on with this. I was just furious. So I get to the front of my turn. And I've got my backpack. And it's got my computer in it. A bunch of cigars, of course. Other stuff. And there's this Bronze Age tribal barbarian who's just out of nappies that is looking them at me and he hasn't got a brain in his head. And he demands that I put my bag over inspection. And I was like, fuck this. So I said, why? Why am I giving you my bag to inspect? And I said it like that. I said, I've just been through security. I've just been through... No, you, you. It's the stupidity that sets me off. It's the stupidity. This whole situation was stupid. And this guy was stupid. And if you've read my first book, Pushing Rubber Downhill, you'll know that me getting fired from my job and having to leave Africa, Uganda, was a really good thing. Because I got to the point at that time in my life where I couldn't handle the stupidity anymore. And the stupidity in Uganda, in Africa in general, is off the fucking charts. It's the day-to-day smashing your face into a brick wall with the stupidity that drove people literally insane so they killed themselves in Uganda. And they were the smart ones. They just couldn't handle the abject, in-your-face stupidity at all times. I'll give you an example. This isn't in the book. But I'll give you an example. We hosted a couple of guys across who were doing a... uh, uh, There were a couple of high-level kayakers who were making a film. It was a kayaking film. It actually screened at Sundance uh, Film Festival back in 2000, I think it was. 2001. I think it won in its category. Uh, It's called Wicked Liquid 2, A Thousand Cunning Stunts. We helped them come up with the name because the boys... uh, It was Alex Nix and Brad Jones. I was like, what was his name? Uh, Brad Lutton? Lutton? Uh, High-level whitewater uh, adventure kayakers. Uh, skills that were out of this world. We were looking them, at them coming down the rapids because they stayed with us for two or three weeks in our house in Uganda. Uh, and they got heaps of footage from us. If you want to actually know what I look like, and if you want to know what, you know, what it was like, you, you get hold of the video because I'm on it a lot. Um, I'm actually pretty good at talking in front of a camera. And the boys started, got me to do one thing, and then they got me to do lots of things. So on the <coughs> on the film, there's a section where I'm talking about the in-your-face chicken place on the bus and how it works and all that sort of thing. I'm, I'm the one who's always wearing white wraparound sunglasses. Back when white, wearing white wraparound sunglasses was cool because no one else did it. Now, of course, I wouldn't do it because every dipshit and his dog does it. But... Uh, I digress. Anyway, they stayed with us while they were making the film because uh, half or two-thirds of the film was on the White Nile and this was the first serious kikers to come to the White Nile and they were blown away. And this was before it had been dammed in the section we were doing. So Wicked Liquid 2, A Thousand Cunning Stunts. Um, and uh, it's not on YouTube, I've checked, by the way. I've got a copy. I should. I don't want to put it up on YouTube. The boys won't like that. Um, anyway, so... On our last day of, of filming them, uh, they were they were getting the lift on our uh, rafting bus to and from the river. On the very last day, and literally they were leaving the next day, uh, one of the guys 
I think it might have been Alex Nix, uh, left behind um, his bag or his wallet or something uh, containing some valuable stuff. I didn't have his passport, but it's stuff that he obviously, obviously needed. He left it on the bus. Now, it was just our bus, but we had a... Um, the way it worked was we had a Ugandan bus driver who worked for us, Isaac, and he was awesome. Really, really smart guy for a Ugandan. He's actually really smart in general. Switched on. Cluey, great driver as well, which was the most important thing. You know, it's one of those tr- drivers that are really, really calm. I mean, we're going up a dirt track hill. He's got a bus with 30 people in it, and he's sideways for the mud because it's rained so much. And you were just completely relaxed on the bus. You didn't even bother looking because you just know he just took his time and he would just touched it up and he got it up perfectly every single time. He was just an amazing guy. But anyway, he would he would kick the bus. He would take the bus away every night, get it refueled, and it would keep it in this in this lot at this petrol station in the middle of Kampala, which was open twenty four hours a day. So we tried to get hold of Isaac because we realised that Alex had left his his gear on the bus. And the thing is that they were leaving really early the next day they were gone uh, uh, flying out and we didn't have a trip the next day so the bus wasn't turning up so the only choice we had was to go find the bus first choice was go find Isaac we couldn't get hold of Isaac second thing we had to do was go to where the bus was and just get them to let us onto the bus and get his stuff and we're fine so we go there middle of Kampala uh, never been there before but we just rocked up and we had all our drift <coughs> that's the company I work for, adrift t-shirts on staff shirts, all that sort of thing. Must have been four or five of us. And uh, the the place was very really busy and there were a bunch of buses parked there. And these are small buses, like the way, just 25, 30 people buses. And uh, I found the guys in charge and said, explain the situation to him. Just like I've you now, we've left some stuff on the on the bus, we need it. Isaac is the driver. Uh, he said all the right things. It would have been like, oh yeah man, no problem. Uh, I've got the keys. Yeah, just jump on it. All we wanted to do was jump on the bus, grab it, grab the stuff that was there, which was obviously ours because he had his identification in it. So if if you were like a bit worried, it'd be like, oh, okay, man, can you just show me the ID with it when you find it and I can compare it? Yeah, no worries, man, at all. His response, ah, no, Mazungu, you cannot do it. you come back tomorrow. That was it. It was just like, and of course, we, I, in the end, had to go, we had to go pretty ballistic to get on, to get it. The only way in this situation, and this is why it annoyed you so much, as soon as that happened, as soon as they decided to just be complete cunts about it, uh, and it was, and it, the only reason they do that was their level of stupidity. As soon as that happened, you knew that the only way, the only option left to you to deal with what was going on would be to dial the aggression up to 11. And that's it. That's your only. That was your only option, and we all knew it. And it's just like this. And when you first got to Uganda, you'd take time. You you dial it up step by step by step. You're just trying to be reasonable the whole time. Maybe a little, you know, and getting little little threats and blah, blah blah. By that stage, man, it was just like it was just like snap, eleven, and then straight in his face. But and it still took us ten or fifteen minutes of eleven on the aggression scale out of 10 to get where we needed to get and we finally got what we needed to go get and it was just it was just like man why why do we have to do this why and we got that you got that every day every day 
multiple times a day, that level of stupidity. And this is just one that stuck in my head for some reason. Just stuck in my head. And when we finally got Alex's gear, we were like driving through Kampala. And we're standing on the back because it was a pickup truck with a tray. And we're standing on the back just mouthing abuse at everyone that we drove past. Just because we were, all of us were collectively, the most four, of us, four or five of us, we were just collectively so jacked off with the level of stupidity. So here I am, back to my story in Abu Dhabi at this departure lounge. And I'm in front of this eminently stupid camel fucker. And he's like, yeah, look in your bag. We must. This is like, dude, I've just been through your, your, your security x-ray. What are you looking in my bag for? And when I say looking in my bag, they weren't even doing it right. Because, well, to give you an they weren't, trust me, they weren't doing it right. If they were looking for stuff, if we were dependent on this for our safety or anything like this, then you'd understand, mate. But this was just, this was just, this was just, we're going to look in your bags. Because we can. That's what it was. And they started to, t- I, so I said, no. I said, you're not going to do it. We've already been in it. He's like, ah, ah, ah. Then you will stand over there and wait. I went, no, I'm not. I'm going to go sit over here in this lounge, in this departure lounge, departure hall. And then I'm going to get on my plane. Or what do you want me to do? Be here stuck in the airport with you forever. And really? No one around me, the people lining up, they were just, they just didn't care. They just didn't care. They were just, you know, they just wanted their bags to be searched so they could just get through, do it, and then get on the plane, and then, because the whole thing is so awful. Ah, we have to, we have to uh, do an anal intrusion cavity search, and everyone, you know what, they would have done it. They would have done it. They wouldn't have cared. They wouldn't have, we have to take blood samples from, they would have done it. They wouldn't have cared. Because they're all just fucking sheep. So we get in this argument. And I'm just not backing down. Just not backing down. I wasn't yelling, but I wasn't nice. Talking to you how I'm talking now. I was not nice. And then they started then they said to me that it was the Australian government that demanded this. I was like, what? I've flown into Australia so many times. I've flown in from Singapore. We didn't have to do this. I've flown in from Hong Kong. We didn't have to do this. I've flown in from Indonesia. We didn't have to do this. But now we need to do this. Lies. Eventually, so I, eventually it got to the point. So I, so I just, all right, fine, look at my bag. So I literally just unzipped one compartment of a three-compartment backpack, opened it, went, there you go, you're happy? And I shut it and I walked off. So, so much for your bag search. Just Unbelievable. The flight, of course, was miserable um, for numerous reasons. Um, and I was just a cunt to everyone along the way. I was. And I, and I disliked myself for being that way. It's just, but it's so awful now, international travel. It's just so awful. I saw another thing, too, I discovered was that in the, in the departure lounges, um, you really noticed how fat Australians have got. In the departure lounge in Amsterdam, we were going to Abu Dhabi. There wasn't it wasn't a, an Australian flight because in Abu Dhabi you can branch off into into many 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 different places to go to. We got to the departure hall in Abu Dhabi when we were finally let back down to sit sit down again after all of the rigmarole. 
And what I was there for, and the amount of fat people, the amount of fat people, is just, it's just mind-boggling. It's just, this is not happening in Europe like this. I was in Italy, there's no fat people in Italy. I was in Europe, I was in Holland, there's no fat people there. You know, they all take care of themselves. I'm talking about, like, not that you're big-boned, just that you're a slob, and you eat too much, and you eat all the time, stuffing their faces. The hall was full, the departure hall was full of people just stuffing their faces with shit. I just, it's just ugly. It's unattractive. The other thing that really got me was, I really noticed this in, in Italy and Holland, is that Holland's the one where it really stood out to me. Because the Dutch, Anglo-Saxon, the same, the same cultural genetic makeup as, as, uh, as what Australia used to be, not anymore. And you go into, let's say you go to get fuel at a, at, a, at a gas station or whatever, gas station, whatever you call it. We call it a petrol station in Australia, but considering most of my listeners are from North America, you won't know what the hell I'm talking about. <coughs> you go to get fuel for your car. Did it in Holland. Dutch person. When I say Dutch person, I mean traditional Anglo-Saxon Dutch person. Go into a, into a pharmacy, Dutch person. Uh, any any service staff in the restaurant of, of any grade quality, all Dutch people. Go into any shop, it's a Dutch person. Um, bureaucrats, Dutch people, for good or ill. Um, it was Holland, and it was staffed with Dutch people. Bus driver, Dutch person. Taxi driver, Dutch person. Train driver, Dutch person. Any fucking driver, Dutch people. It's not that way in Australia. Your taxi driver will wear a turban. I'll put money on it. At a gas station. They're from Pakistan. Every single one of them. Corner store. Lovely from China. On and on it goes. It's like there's no Anglo-Saxons working. Bus drivers. No, no Anglo-Saxons there anymore. The only ones drivers in Australia that are Anglo-Saxons are train drivers. And they're completely Anglo-Saxon. There's not one darkie amongst them. Why not? Because their average salary is on $150,000 a year because of the massive power the train transport union has in Australia. You don't think they're going to give away those high-powering jobs to some scumbag immigrants now, do you? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 no. Pharmacies. Ah, Asian of some type. Um, Restaurants depends on the level of restaurant and serving staff, but if you go into an average restaurant, serving staff will be from India or Pakistan or someone like that. Some shithole. Uh, McDonald's used to be a rite of passage for Australian uh, teenagers at their first job. McDonald's was my first main job in my life, and I've got no shame in saying that. Taught me a lot of uh, uh, good work ethoses and qualities to have. Um, but these days, no. They'll all be from some immigrant fucking country. So the whole point is is that what struck me in Holland, what struck me really struck me in Holland, it's the same in Italy, but it really struck me in Holland, because the Dutch are so alike, is how much Holland is Holland. You know, if I go to Holland, I want to I wanna see Dutch people. 
That's what I want to see. If I go to India, I want to see Indian people. I don't want to go into a into a into a gas station in India and find some Dutch person serving, or some Australian for Christ's sake. I'm in India. I want to see Indians. You come into Australia now, and you saw it in the boarding hall. That was the other thing you saw in the boarding hall. It's like I was getting the the plane from Italy to Holland, and in the boarding hall, it was ninety five percent Dutch and Italians. Fancy about that. Dutchies going home. Italians going to visit Holland. My, me and my wife were so... Well, my wife's Dutch. <laughs> Fucking hell. But the boarding hall in Abu Dhabi to come back to Australia. Oh, I don't know. We could have been in a... Waiting to uh, have a town hall public meeting in some village in India. That's all I'll say. That's all I'll say. With a Kentiki tour that had rocked up in town from Australia. That's what the departure hall looked like. That's it. It's Australia's not what it used to be. It's not Australia anymore. It's some um, multicultural shithole. Uh, the left won. The progressive left won here. And there's no going back. There's just no going back. It's because there was not enough history cemented here. The, like, it's not going back. And that was a real thing that struck me about Holland. It's, it's still Dutch. Um, the other thing that struck me about Holland is that things have progressed in the terms of immigrants, as in a good thing. So three years ago when I was in Holland, we went to Utrecht, which is one of the main cities in Holland. And what really struck me was the amount of culture in riches walking around in full-length burkas. I mean, we're talking so many. It was just shocking uh, three years ago when I was in Utrecht at the numbers that were there. This time they were there. They were, I don't. I don't know if I even. Saw, I don't see one full length. I didn't see one full burka. Uh, and as for the the headscarf that they wear, really thin on the ground, like a dramatic visual difference. I'm getting the feeling that that maybe they get which ways the wind's blowing, and the ones who were there permanently are starting to to piss off back to the countries of origin. Because it was it was quite dramatic. Uh, and I commented to it in a few Dutchies, and they, and they, uh, and they, and they were thinking, mm, yeah, mm, yeah, 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 it's true, it's true, yeah, 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 mm, yeah, yeah. You say it, yeah. I wonder how. Mm. Go Gert Velders. That's all I can say. But coming into Australia, oh, God, we, we lost our country. We've lost our country. That's all I'm going to say. So yeah, my trip was a good trip. Uh, happy to be home in the sense that in my house with my stuff around me. Happy to be back in Australia? Not really. <coughs> like I said, we've uh, we've basically fucked it. I don't think Australia is... Uh, is I don't think it can be got back to what it was. And the only thing that's keeping it up economically is... Uh, is the fact that we're pulling so much stuff out of the ground to sell to China. First we did that with Japan, then we did it with Korea, now we're doing it with China. There isn't another country after that waiting to buy all that stuff. Um, and I'll say that when China, something happens in China to stop that, whether it's revolution or communists decide to go hardline again or I don't know, plague that wipes out two-thirds of the population, whatever. 
I'll tell you what, Australia's going to go down like a lead balloon. It'll be the Argentina. And the regulations we have here. I was reading a thing the other day that uh, uh, to build a house, an average suburban house in Australia or in Melbourne, requires something like 500 different government regulations, which amount to over 75% of the cost of the dwelling. How about that? And the same article uh, was talking about the most expensive uh, real estate in the world ranked by cities and out of the 20 most expensive cities and what they did was they did cost of buying average median household cost with median income uh, Sydney got number two in the world after Hong Kong I think Melbourne got number four eight Australian cities were in the top 20 it's all because of our regulations um, we fucked it we fucked it. And the reason we fucked it is we have a had a conser- so-called conservative right-wing government in power now for four years, and yet the amount of regulations not only have not decreased, they've gone up. So it's not only that the right, when they get in, don't dismantle the bullshit that has been put in by the left. They keep it ongoing. And 500 regulations, 500 different regulations. A lot of those are environmental. Some of those are like apparently cultural work out if some Nunga Winga Nunga Aboriginal tribe did something there 40,000 years ago as if anyone gives a fuck I've got a, uh, there's a, there's a my local Italian or my local coffee bar here around the corner from my house is run by Italians young guys they're in like their late 20s early 30s they've uh, immigrated over here started a business they do it really well they've been trying to get a liquor license for the, to, and when they've had just to be able to serve like Prosecco and sort of aperitivi and that sort of thing in the afternoon, they've been trying to get it for nine months. I get on really well with the owner. We actually go out with drinking beers with each other occasionally. There's less bureaucracy in Italy than in Melbourne. Uh, he actually paid, well, I won't say what he's, what he's paid so far and how many times local council has knocked him back for one little you didn't put a full stop at the end of a sentence and you've paid us five grand for this, but that's your fault. We didn't tell you, blah, 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 do it again. It's embarrassing. It's criminal. And that's what Australia's got to. Anyway, look, that was my trip. Um, it was good, great. Look, I know Europe has its issues, but wow, it was good to be back. Really enjoyed Europe. Um, so shout outs, Captain Capitalism, Aaron Cleary, uh, he's got a cool video. I'm gonna I'm gonna link it at my blog actually, uh, but it's called "Your Education Does Not Make You Smart," and it's it's. <coughs> I talk about this in the post, but it's, I'm gonna write a post about it. But I've been talking about the same stuff for a while now. How stupid people use university degrees as a substitute for intelligence, uh, and um, particularly when you take into account that they'll pass anyone in universities these days, even if you don't speak. The language that the, the course is being being taught in, you know. I mean, it's like people who are tall don't go around making a big deal about the fact that they're tall. They're just tall. Yeah, the only people that make a big deal about being tall are the ones that are on the border about of being short and medium height, say five foot eight or five foot seven or something like that. They're the only ones who'll make an issue about being tall. Oh, no, I'm tall, man. They'll wear, they'll wear height things. And they'll go, no, man, I'm tall, man. I get chicks. I get tall. Uh, people who are tall don't even talk about being tall. They're just tall. 
Same with intelligence. If you're smart, if you're really smart, you don't go around telling people you're smart. That's the other thing. So walking around saying that you're, you've got a university degree so you're smart, there's like a tall person going around saying you've, he's got push-up shoes so he's tall. It just doesn't happen. If you're smart, you're smart. And it's just like being tall. That's it. It's a genetic thing. You're tall, you're smart. It's genetic. You don't make a big deal of it. So Aaron Clary's got this uh, cool video uh, on your education does not make you smart. I think I think he might have actually linked it on his blog, Captain Capitalism. Uh, did he? Because that's why I might have just seen it. Yes, he has. Uh, so go over and check that out. It's a uh, good video. It's only 10 minutes or so in length. And make sure you watch it to the end because that's how YouTube gives out their, their video guys, their advertising you know, payments, that sort of stuff. If you only watch it, like, just let it run through to the end. That's how these things work. Uh, and uh, check out Cappy's stuff, because he's awesome. I wrote a post from the other day about uh, the idiocy of the annual performance review. So you can check that one out as well, which is quite cool, I thought. Um, so there's my shout-outs. Uh, so here we go. Um, we'll call this one the holiday episode, I suppose. Um, and uh, thank you for listening. Uh, have I kept it to just under an hour? I like to do. Oh, I'm just over an hour. Oh, I like to do just under an hour. Um, I'll be back next week. Back on topic. Back on track. Uh, you guys keep being literal Nazis. Until then, goodbye.